Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today are two good friends of mine, Ross Anderson and Corey Miller. They have written a book titled Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, Confident Conversations with Mormon Missionaries and Other Latter-day Saints. Corey and Ross, you both wrote the first two chapters, and then we have several other chapters in the book that were written by others who have somewhat a similar background as you, as, as, as far as they were all members of the LDS Church. However, you wanted to find people that actually served on, on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It doesn't mean that if you never served a mission that you wouldn't know how to handle yourself talking with Mormon missionaries. But I think as good Christians, we have to have somewhat of a game plan when they do tend to knock on our door. And many times, I think as Christians, kind of like the way we were in high school, we cram for our finals on the last day. That doesn't always work very well. So I always encourage people to at least get familiar with the subject matter should they come to your door, just as if you had people from the Watchtower Society come to your door. Of course, your questions are going to be a little different, but still, we should have a pretty good handle, not an in-depth handle. We don't need that. But we need to at least understand where these people are coming from. Now, Corey, in the chapter that you wrote, you mentioned what you call the the two cornerstone doctrines in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Those two cornerstone doctrines being, one, the total apostasy or the complete apostasy, as they sometimes call it, as well as the restoration through Joseph Smith. Why is understanding their view of this total or complete apostasy important? Yes, these are two necessary and jointly sufficient conditions for Mormonism to be plausible. And the first one, even though they reference the term apostasy, it's a a term they're moving away from uh, in the new preach my gospel, simply because people don't understand the religious terminology, so they just call it a falling away. But you're right, it's a total falling away. It doesn't make sense for there to be a restoration, and and note that they're not calling this a reformation, but a restoration. It doesn't make sense for there to be a restoration unless there's something that needs to be restored. And so what they believe about this falling away is not that there were never Christians throughout the last 2,000 years that were following Christ to the best of their knowledge. It's more, however, that they lacked certain truths and they lacked a necessary priestly authority. And uh, Robert Millette, who uh, you know was the dean of religious studies at BYU, says in one chapter title of one of his books, authority is everything. And so the priestly authority to function for God was lost when the last apostle died in the first century. And so there's been a loss of authority. And that authority 
comes with proper baptisms, proper conferring of marriages, and a, a plethora of other things. That authority was lost until it was restored by God to Joseph Smith. But don't you guys also find it odd that this priesthood authority that they say was lost isn't even mentioned in the New Testament? I always found that to be very strange, that they place such emphasis on this priesthood authority, yet we don't see anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus ordains any of his apostles to the Aaronic priesthood or the Melchizedek priesthood. The only time we find the Melchizedek priesthood mentioned at all, I should say those two words together, Melchizedek and priesthood, is in the book of Hebrews, specifically talking about Jesus himself. Doesn't that in and of itself uh, sound a little bit suspicious? Well, you factor in a couple things. One is the one of the doctrines of the apostasy is that the Bible's corrupted. So to make an argument from what is or isn't in the Bible may not have a lot of weight to the active Latter-day Saint. But from my perspective also, you factor in the, the idea that Joseph Smith is looking for credibility. He's looking for ways to support his new version of, of Christianity, his new version of, of real faith. And so, you know, he's going to look, he's going to look at authority questions. He's going to look at what gives me authority. Does idea of restoration gives him power, gives him authority. He's the final say about a lot of things. And so what you end up with, of course, is that the Latter-day Saint Church, they, they project their structure, their system backwards on the New Testament, even on the Old Testament. And so that's the ultimate, is not what the Scripture says. The ultimate is what modern authority has said, and we'll go find it if we can in the Scripture. Well, in in mentioning this, I think we kind of segue into the second part, Corey, where you talk about the restoration through Joseph Smith. Naturally, Latter-day Saints assume that what they're believing is what first-century Christians believed and practiced. Do you have any special hints that you could help our listeners when it comes to trying to educate our Latter-day Saint acquaintance that a lot of those assumptions that they make, there's no evidence for that. How can you bring this out in a respectful manner? I guess what I mean is they're claiming that what they believe, as I said, is a part of first century Christianity, but how do we gently try to show them that that just doesn't seem to be the case due to this lack of evidence? I mean, you can say, well, that that shows that there was a complete apostasy. Are we really to believe that all these things that they claim to believe and practice, every single one of those unique aspects was somehow scrubbed from the scriptures and scrubbed from history? That's a good point. You're looking at the entirety of the biblical canon, Old and New Testament, and you know, saying, okay, you've got this testament of another Jesus Christ or another testament of Jesus Christ, you're finding a Jesus Christ that is not the same in Mormonism as it was projected in the Old Testament about the Messiah and as depicted in the New Testament, but also looking at the first century. And many Christians may or may not be prepared for this, but doesn't matter. They should realize that the historical evidence is there and is available the first-generation disciples and the disciples of the disciples and the disciples of the disciples of the disciples, they were all there, and they wrote these things down, and they're much closer in proximity than 1,800 years later 
to understand what it was that Jesus and his apostles were teaching about Jesus and his message. So we have that evidence through confirmation in extra biblical writings. It's the Book of Mormon, really, or Mormon teachings about Jesus that bears the burden of proof for how all of this history is just wrong. We're expected to believe that one man saw God and God told him to restore the church. We just want some evidence. Evidence demands a verdict. And I think that the the biblical evidence uh, not only is substantiated in and of itself with 40 plus authors, 1500 years of textual writing, it's not just one book, it's 66 books referencing the same central figure, Jesus. But we also have extra biblical evidence through not only friendlies that were the disciples and disciples of the disciples of the disciples and so forth, as I said, but we actually have outside testimonial evidence from hostile sources. We have 45 outside sources, Bill, uh, literary sources that provide for us 129 independent facts about the life and teachings of Christ by hostile historians. They don't believe it, but it confirms what the New Testament writers actually said. One thing that's very unique with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, of course, as we've been talking about authority, is that role of the modern or the Latter-day prophet. And I'm noticing that more and more in general conference messages, the, the current leader of the church is cited more and more in these messages that I remember years ago, if you heard the name of the leader of the church in a conference message, it was not totally uncommon, but it wasn't quite as common as it is today. But Corey, you write on page 15, one might expect the ultimate authority to lie with the prophet or the scriptures, but for the average Mormon, the personal testimony is ultimately authoritative. What do you mean by that? Well, there are three areas of authority in Mormonism. And again, authority is everything, uh, the priestly authority primarily, but that lies with the prophets, especially the living prophet, they might say, be, don't confuse the living prophet with the dead prophet, which even to say that question, why are they going to disagree? And yes, they have in plenty of times. Uh, but then you've got the authorities, the authoritative writings, the scriptures, average Mormon, what often turns out to be the case is that it's their personal testimony that is the buck stopper. That's the final authority. Uh, oftentimes, you'll hear a Mormon say, when you bring up evidence of contradictions within the scriptures or contradictions with the prophets, they don't say, don't confuse me with the facts, I've got a feeling, but that's what they're implying. I don't care what you say, I know Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. I know the Book of Mormon is the word of God. I know the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the one true church. I bring you my testimony. And then they begin tearing up sometimes, even. They're taught always to fall back on that testimony. That, for the average Mormon, in my view, is the buckstopper, the epistemic buckstopper. Ross, when you hear uh, an LDS missionary go into their testimony, what do you normally think? Because I, I have an answer to this, but what do you think? My first thought is, like, you have no idea. I'm thinking, like, 
it's a reaction is like, okay, I'm just going to bracket it and I'm going to move on and, and really talk about things that, that really matter. And I'll listen to it, but it gives me an opportunity also. I mean, I'm going to look for an opportunity to share my testimony, which is a different kind of thing, but it still have, I've had experiences with God and with Jesus that have made a difference in my life. But I want to get back to sharing our ultimate authority, which is truth in, as a, revealed in Jesus and in his word. Usually when I hear a Latter-day Saint go into their testimony, it, it seems like it's out of place for one. I mean, we're talking about a subject here, and I'm asking you some questions, and all of a sudden you go into this, but I know, and then dot, dot, dot. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I tend to think when a, when a missionary goes into his testimony that I think I got him on this question. Score, he doesn't have an yeah, answer. That's right. You got, you got the win. Yeah, because yeah. if, if he had an answer, he would give me the answer. He doesn't have an answer. And <laughs> I kind of store that in the back of my mind. Maybe I can bring something up a little bit later yeah, on. But point. isn't it something that we should try to do is to maybe uh, ask them some questions that hopefully get them to seriously think that maybe what they believe to be true isn't true after all. It's like a question I just asked a a Mormon just a couple days ago. Does it honor God to believe something that's false? Like many, he had to think about it, but ultimately said that he didn't think it honored God to believe something that was false. And that's kind of a premise that I sometimes want to use with them. Tomorrow, I want to talk more about this because we're running out of time, but we're talking to Corey Miller and Ross Anderson responding to the Mormon missionary message, confident conversations with Mormon missionaries and other Latter-day Saints. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.